Theorizing that primetime audiences were ready for a new time travel series, NBC and creator Donald Belisario debuted Quantum Leap on March 26, 1989. Starring Scott Bakula and Dean Stockwell, the series followed Dr. Sam Beckett for five seasons of time-hopping adventures, spawning novels, comics, and a fan base that has clamored for decades for a revival. Now, with Raymond Lee and Caitlin Bassett starring in a new version of the series that dangles just as many new threads as it does old ones, we'll ball the string up and explore the revival and the ways in which Quantum Leap has always entertained and inspired us here on... Oh boy... Booyah! It's a Quantum Leap Podcast. My name is Nate, and with me is a co-host we can all see in here. It's Brian Martin. Hey, hello, hello. Brian, we've got big news this week. A second season has been promised by NBC. Yeah, uh, sort of unexpected. I was hoping, fingers crossed. I felt pretty good about the odds, given what I had read about particularly streaming numbers for this right. show. Mm-hmm. But uh, refreshing news. Yeah. You know, I think that's going to instill some confidence, and they might be able to really find their footing by the second season, I think. I'm excited. Yeah, I think so. A couple of things I didn't necessarily know is that the broadcast numbers have been good. The actual, like, people watching on NBC... They look bad when you compare them to numbers from like two decades ago because everybody's (laughs) streaming everything now, but they're actually pretty good. Like it's one of the top rated drama series on television right now. Wow, really? And the streaming numbers have been just outstanding for Peacock, which is, I think, a fledgling streamer in search of their, I don't know what the equivalent would be, this their Star Trek franchise, right? Sure. Paramount Plus is kind of buoyed by Star Trek and yeah. Nickelodeon in this house. I don't know about you, but... Uh... <laughs> yeah, really, that's all they've got. Yeah, no, I I remember I was checking the numbers pretty religiously for those first couple of episodes, and it seemed like it was middling response, and then it started to drop off a little bit, and I was like, you know what, I'm not going to look at these numbers anymore. But that's good to know. Broadcast numbers kind of went up. That's good. Yeah, I mean, take it or leave it. I don't know what these numbers even mean anymore. I haven't heard the word Nielsen in probably five <laughs> years. <laughs> so so who knows? Speaking of uh, Nielsen ratings, they were kind of poor for the original Quantum Leap, but we're going to cover one of their better episodes. Again, the current Quantum Leap series is remains on hiatus until the uh, 2nd of January. And so in the interim here, we're kind of, kind of taking a few a, a different tack. Uh, we recently did our uh, interview retrospective on Don Belisario. And today we're looking back at one of the best episodes. I'm just going to say it, Nate, of television in all of history. Oh, oh. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) that is that is lofty, sir. I think this could go toe to toe with the moon landing. That's one small step for man. It's definitely Quantum Leap at the top of its game. Yeah. The very oh, yeah. the very top of its game. You hate to think that it's sort of gimmicky in its you know, that it's it's not your typical episode, 
but it's just got so many strengths. This was, a what, the start of the third season, correct? This was the first two episodes of the third of season. season three. Yeah, yeah so we're so. right in the middle of this series. Yeah, they, they had the confidence I was just talking about with the uh, revival. They knew what this show was by this point, and were really digging into the characters and our main characters. You know, we talked all about the peripheral characters that Sam and Al meet each week, but this was very Sam and, and Al, even. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think we failed to mention the uh, the name of the Oh, I, th- I figured we'd get there. I figured yeah. we'd get there. This week we are looking at... The Leap Home, Parts 1 and 2. Again, just an absolute tour de force as far as really Belisario's concerned, certainly as far as Scott Bakula is concerned. Yes, right. I don't know what Scott Bakula got paid for this show, but he earned every penny in that paycheck Yeah, in The Leap Home, Part 1. I think this was the kind of thing that he was really looking for. In any actor really getting to uh, flex his muscles there, pulling double duty as Sam and his own father in terrible television makeup. Uh, <laughs> Which still manages to look pretty good. Yeah, I guess I it's mean, not it, that it's, bad. It's, but... it's It could have been worse. And in my head, I thought it was. And then I watched it and I was like, oh, this is this is like 1990. It's It's perfectly passable yeah, I would say. yeah it's not as bad as I... and his performance is again so good yeah as dad as sam and as this sort of like deeper subdued part of sam that is very much tapped into 16 year old sam right yeah. like you get to see this sort of boyish delight yeah from yeah. sam he's only playing two characters as credited on screen but he's sort of playing three and uh, he also gets to sing. Always a pleasure when Scott Bakula gets to sing yeah. in an episode of Quantum Leap. You know, maybe like four episodes where he gets to really... Uh, oh, and, and and maybe five with that mobster episode where he sings Volare at the <laughs> <right>? <laughs> Yeah, that's true. The, the first thing I think I would mention, just the way this, this episode opens with a sense of familiarity rather yes. than disorientation, as soon as he leaps in... He leaps into a cornfield where yeah. the breeze is sort of gently blowing. And he can tell by the wind and the smell and the temperature and the corn on the ground. Like, he's placed everything. Right. And it's just this sort of, like, wonderful little breadcrumb trail. Yeah. That leads him to look up and see a carload of girls that he knows. Yeah. Going back to what you said about uh, kind of acting like a 16-year-old. You know, he doesn't know at that point who he is. That's the one right. thing he doesn't know that he's himself. And still he's like, I can flush pheasants out. And then he pretends to shoot them like a kid would, you know? Like yeah. He pulls out the gun and... And it's, it's what a 16-year-old would do. It's really a great way to open up an episode that is just going to be chock full of familiar sounds and faces to our main character. You know, it's, a real... it's wild, yeah, because yeah. we have no nostalgia for this, but Sam has all the nostalgia, and through him, we feel all the nostalgia. Like, the feeling yeah. of watching the episode now is the same as the feeling of watching the episode in 1990. Sam just embodies this sense of Americana 
and this sort of wistfulness for it. And you're just right there with him all the way. And it's a real, again, a testament to Scott Bakula in this episode. Just incredible, because that opening, you're right, like shooting the pheasants, and then he sees the girls in the car, uh-huh. and he just <laughs> runs away. <laughs> That is a 16-year-old boy's response to this. Like, oh, God. And he comes out of the cornfield, sees his house, and he just runs. And it's like nothing can stop him from getting to that doorstep. This is the moment he's lived his life for, to be back here, to see that. And he gets there, and his mom comes out, and that mom. Yeah. And then (laughs) cut to the main titles. It's like it just builds to this crescendo, and you're like, Oh my god. Like it's just such a wonderful yeah. apple pie just filled with warmth moment. And it's know? just yeah, even just the littlest thing too, because when she's introduced, she says Sam You scared ten years out of me. Just that little nod to time travel, you know? Right. Belisario wrote this episode himself, and it's it's clear that he was having a ball with it. Whether it's literally plucked from his life or not, there's a lot of Belisario in this episode. There's got to be, right? You just can't pull this sort of emotion out of a vacuum, I don't think. There's a sincerity in this episode that just completely overpowers any schmaltziness. Do you want to give any kind of synopsis to people that maybe haven't seen this in several years? So, okay, the date is November 25th, 1969. Sam, as we've said, leaps in and quickly realizes that he is home in Elkridge, Indiana. It is, well, maybe a couple days before the championship basketball game that the team blew in no small part due to Sam. It was a sort of nexus point for a lot of the people involved with that game in terms of what happened to them afterward because that game was lost. So Sam is there to win a high school basketball game. (laughs) And of course, this being Quantum Leap and Sam being Sam, there's got to be more to it than that. So Sam goes out of his way to try to correct the perceived wrongs that have befallen his family in later years, such as his father dying of a massive coronary three years later, his sister marrying an abusive alcoholic when she reaches adulthood, and most importantly, his brother Tom, who in this current history will be dead in about six months after he ships off to Vietnam. Right. And the bulk of his leak becomes this tug of war between what Ziggy says Sam is there to do, and what Sam desires. That's Yeah, that's good. I had a note, Sam has not exactly lived the charmed life. Yeah. You don't really think about it. You see it released a little at a time as the series goes on, but just to be exposed to all of these troubles all at once, you really kind of realize this super genius going off to college at 16 ends up inventing time travel. We know that he's an exceptional person, right? But do you kind of feel like maybe, oh, he must have had it easy. Super genius that can play the piano at Carnegie Hall and mm-hmm. invents time yeah. travel. But here we really see he's born out of a lot of, well, I was going to say a lot of pain, but there's also so much family and love in that house that then it all kind of crumbles. That's the whole thing, right? Like, I feel like you can't be the person who invents time travel without some deep-rooted psychosis, right? <laughs> 
I look at this and I think the tragedy that befell him in his life is likely what helped guide him to Project Quantum Leap and creating this. Like, there's got to be something deep inside of him that's compelling him to, quote unquote, put right what once went wrong or even travel back to the past. And when you go through this much trauma in such a rapid succession, because we know we've known in advance that Tom's death had a profound impact on him. Right. His father's death, we come to find, is one of those touchstone moments in his life, too. When you factor that into who he is and the man he becomes, I think it's impossible to separate the two. Right. Like, without this tragedy, would he ultimately have made the choice to time travel? Or is a part of this rooted in some sort of unresolved psychological trauma from his past? Right. It's interesting that all of these things are avoidable situations yeah well you would think you know what i mean like he the coronary... really tries his best <laughs> well my point my point being there could have been another way for all right. of these things to happen and i think there are some instances in people's lives that just it was unavoidable that xyz was going to happen but all of these things that befell his family the coronary thing he could yep. have been more healthy the vietnam thing he didn't have to go the abusive Chuck boyfriend like yeah Chuck I, you know who knows where that comes from but it can be changed these right. are all things that he sees from the perspective of that 16 year old boy that these are things that he can change yeah if that was the reason for his creation of this time travel set things right it's interesting that he would lay the rules down not to use it for your own advantage Right, yeah. Kind of in a prime directive scenario. It's almost like you can't despite your best efforts. You can try to use this to your advantage. Well, Sam has said you're not supposed to. Right. He set down rules that says we've created time travel, but we don't use it for personal gain. And that's really interesting if we're supposing that these things are the precursors to his... Immutable in time, right? yeah, Yeah, yeah. But... That notwithstanding, you know, clearly by the time he gets there and he definitely feels like this is probably the reason that he'd created Project Quantum Leap to go back and make these kinds of changes and finally help himself after helping so many others. You know, like whatever his guidelines are. Yeah, whatever his guidelines are, they go out the window pretty quick. Yes. Right. When he realizes the potential of what he can impact here in 1969, he more than once in this episode shrugs off Ziggy defiantly has that moment where he calls up to the heavens and says, I quit. I'm done. Yeah, yeah. This is where I'm staying. And as good as Bakula is and Sam is in this, how good is Al? You know, oh both like of these episodes. Yeah. Both of these At- episodes. It's such a, uh, this is maybe the best example of the entire run of kind of what we were talking about, at that, about the dynamic between Al and Sam and yeah. how just seemingly effortless it came together dean stockwell is incredible in both of these episodes yeah just the nuances and the subtleties in what he does i have a note it's a little bit later in the episode but maybe my favorite al moment in the series in this episode in part one yeah but oh yeah okay they're just both at the top of their game well the thing that al has accomplished in this episode is this kind of caring from afar. You know that you can't talk Sam out of the things that he wants to accomplish, 
So he kind of lays it out like, these are the reasons you're here. And let's not forget that he can't start a fight about this because he's not going to win a fight. So he's just letting Sam kind of discover on his own that changing things for himself is not why he's there. And And yet, and yet there's a moment in part two where we sort of revisit that and it twists a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. In in just a really incredible way. But yeah. Sam being so adamant that he's there to change the things that in, in his life and with his family's life. And Al's trying to get him to go to basketball practice. And uh, he says, you've got to go practice for this game. And he says, I'm not going to play in the game. And Al has gotten him right where he wants him. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're here to help your family. Why would you yeah, leave after the game is over if that's not why you're here, if that's Sam? Not why you're here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I loved how he kind of Sam kind of betrays himself in that moment. Yeah. yeah, it kind of says it all. The other line that he has is... You're not changing the future. You're just making their present miserable. Right. So Sam has silently attempted to do a complete 180 on his father's intake of food and narcotics. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) By, By throwing out his cigarettes, by... Making a breakfast that consists of like fruit and brand cereal, low fat breakfast to help control the cholesterol. That's never going to work. And my favorite part of that whole sequence is when he tries to talk a man, a grown ass man in 1969 into doing aerobic exercises. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, get your cardio up. Brother, that is never going to (laughs) work. Right. Right. And, you know, he Sam's dad, uh, he thinks of himself as more healthy than... I'm as healthy as Americans come, right? Like, he's just... I work all day. What are you talking about exercise? I, I work all day. and Yeah. Yeah. And then, so there's that. There's the times he tries to coax Tom out of either going to Vietnam or just find a deep bunker and just stay there on April 8th, because that's... Sam knows that's the day he dies. And... Right. There's a moment where Sam kind of makes this choice that what if I can convince them that I'm clairvoyant? Yeah. Which is yeah. the craziest thing to think. It's like, okay, well, if I know enough about the future and I convince them I'm right, then maybe they'll believe I can see the future. And so right. there is... And instead, they bring in a doctor who... uh <laughs> <Don't>. <laughs> Yeah, they're psychiatrists that they can just bring to the dinner table somehow. <laughs> to mm-hmm. it was them, the like, '60s, man. It was a different. Yeah, time. he's uh, he's created a fantasy to protect himself from his fears about Tom going to Vietnam. So play along with him, right? You know, it works for a little while, but you're right. He's kind of at a last straw moment. Sort of said, "Well, look, I can tell the future. You're going to flush two birds." hit the first one and miss the second and uses that moment to try and convince his brother that he knows the future because what else do you do? He's being stymied at every moment. Uh, We've talked a lot about Sam. I've talked a lot about Scott Bakula and and his portrayal in this episode and just being like an absolute masterclass. But I think the unsung hero of this episode is Katie, his sister. Oh yeah, she's good. There is a scene in this episode that is as deeply affecting as anything else that Sam or Al does. And it's the scene where Sam is singing and he's telling Katie about all these things that come in the future. Most of it's related to like slang and pop culture. Starts talking about the Beatles. John is her favorite Beatle. 
okay, it's like George isn't here or something. I get it. <laughs> but <laughs> but she's talking about John Lennon, and he says, oh, he's going to record my favorite song of all time, and right, Sam because, starts singing Imagine. Yeah, because Al stops him from telling her that he's going to be killed. Exactly. Yeah, yes. Al is there too, again, letting him kind of live this fantasy and discover for himself. Um, only, yeah. only to an extent. To a, to a certain extent, yeah. I made a note of this because it's not something that modern television has the patience for, either as an art form or the audience having the patience for. There is a shot that lasts no less than 30 seconds. A sustained shot that's just of Katie's face. Yeah. As Sam is sitting there singing Imagine, and it goes from this just sort of playful wonder to just absolute despair and she starts crying it starts to kind of dawn on her what if this is real what if tom is going to die what if this isn't a game that sam is playing with me and it's just this catastrophic moment for her and i was just completely arrested by that scene i was like wow holy cow that's like a wrecking ball of emotion she she does a wonderful job it's that is a great scene and it's kind of the breaking point too Mm-hmm. As she breaks, as Sam breaks. That's when he takes off, and like any sixteen-year-old would, and just runs off again into the cornfield. And and again, the run, it... the run. And I'm sure it's not Scott Bakula running because you see his dad in the <laughs> foreground. It's like the Sam stunt double that goes running off the porch, right? But but the run is just so such an emotional run, and his shoulders are kind of thrusting up, and it's just so. Nobody runs like this unless they are just in this just state of just emotional peril. Yeah. Or a 16 year old throwing a fit. Yeah. Yeah. When he ends up cursing God or fate or time for sending him here. And why can I help all these strangers and not help the people, you know, retconning from the finale episode. He sent himself there. So I'm going to let you get to what moment we're talking about here. But is it this moment that you're it talking is, about with Al? It is this moment. It's not fair, Al. I mean, come on, it's not fair. Well, I think, uh, I think it's damn fair. What? I'd give anything to see my father and my sister for a few days, to be able to talk with them again, laugh with them, tell them how much I love them. I'd give anything to have what you have, Sam. Anything. Yes. Oh, my God. I would give anything to have what you have, Sam. Right. And we know that Al didn't have a great upbringing either. His sister was special needs. Yeah. Right? He had a hard life. And he says, I would give anything to have what you have, Sam. Yeah, he's put in an orphanage when he was 10. Yeah. And his sister was committed. He was a runaway at one point. Yep. So, yep. yeah, they've both kind of tragic backgrounds here, but clearly there was a time that he would have liked to get back to also. Right. You know? Right. So it's, so- it's, it's powerful. Sam is at the pit of despair at this point. He's yeah. angry. Things are not fair. Oh, woe is me. And Al is there to, you know... Well, I think it's damn fair. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like, well, look like at Sam it, is coming just... from a place of, I- I've changed so much. Why can't I change this? And Al is looking at it like, what would you give? And this is kind of the question to the audience. Yeah. What would you give to be able to step back and just experience that again for one day? Yeah. 
And that's the question. And it almost doesn't matter where things end up, how you know your family is going to end up five, ten years down the road. There's a Mm -hmm. moment in your past that you can hang on to and say, this was maybe the happiest I've ever been in my life. And that's what this episode's asking you is like, could you just embrace that moment and enjoy it again without being caught up in the despair of what's going to come after? Yeah. And that's what Al posits. And it it's a fantastic moment. Like, yeah, it's just and, absolutely beautiful. And certainly no mistake that they set this around Thanksgiving. Oh, you know? yeah. So it's absolutely bringing the family together and his brother is back before he ships out. It's the um, last Thanksgiving his family's going to have together. Yeah. Like, like when you think of it, Tom's going to be dead before next Thanksgiving. Right. And this is it. And yeah, you get that beautiful montage after that where Sam sort of resigns himself to accepting what he's there for and just appreciating his family right? as they are in that it. moment. Yeah. And it's it's a great montage. Velton Ray Bunch, who does music for okay. the episodes, right? Like Mike Post composed the theme and some of the music, but Velton Ray Bunch is the guy that kind of sticks with the whole show. Okay. Uh, firing on all cylinders, tugs at the heart like nothing else. Like it just pulls your heart out and just kicks it around and has its way with it for like 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the other thing that I noticed in watching this is just how about the economics of storytelling in the mm. time that they've allotted? You know, we talk a lot about in the revival, how they're balancing all of the different characters that they have, the amount of time that they need to give to each person. This episode in particular, you meet Sam's entire family. And of course, you do have Sam as sort of a linchpin. We understand Sam. We know him. So it's by proxy easy to kind of understand who these people are and, and this is their less relationship. Like, it's less like being uh, thrust into a completely unfamiliar situation. And it's more like being invited to Thanksgiving dinner with somebody yeah, we know, yeah, right? Yeah, but we don't is. know their family yet. Right. With regards to that, the reason that he's here. To, you know, to win a basketball game is such low stakes, supposedly, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not the focus of the episode, but there's enough there that you care about the game, too, somehow, you know? Yeah. Because it's so tied to his relationship with his brother. They tie those things in so nicely and then give you a villain to defeat. A one-dimensional villain at that. <laughs> but A one-dimensional villain who is... Sort of like a Dick Tracy villain in that he is defined (laughs) solely by one physical characteristic. (laughs) Yes. No-Nose Pruitt. (laughs) Poor fucking schmuck. I kind of want to see No-Nose come back on the reboot. (laughs) He works (laughs) on the project now for some reason. I want him to be behind whatever nefarious crap is going on. He's an evil leaper. Yeah. The devil showed up and was like... Meet Lothos. <laughs> like, what if he found out that the original history was him shacking up with Lisa for a couple years? I just find it interesting that you can also care about what he's there to do, even though the meat of the story is about his relationship with his family. The fact that they tie it so closely to his brother. You know, this was the one team that we didn't beat when I was in the senior year. And, and his dad has to remind him, you're 16. Tom was 18. You're not going to play as hard as he did. You can't live up to that. Don't try to live up to Tom. Yeah. You know, and they do this great job of building that relationship with his brother. And his brother's the one that ultimately teaches him how to beat no-nos and what he needs to do to win the game. Beautifully put together. 
Yeah, they work on that structurally put together. Hook shot all night. Yeah. Jump hook, yeah. Put your arm up in his face, you know, just (laughs) and uh, teaches him his war cry. Hoo yeah. Yeah. You know? Uh, Yeah. And, and, uh, you get so it's, many nice moments. Even the moment where Tom is introduced in this episode and he comes in and he's got the Kong mask on mm-hmm. and Sam is like, I know you. Yeah. Right. And then yeah. how does he recognize him? Tom hits him in the head with the basketball. Right. Right. It's just a little detail, but it's like the fact that Sam recognizes him based on that tells a story. Right. Yeah. It tells, it it tells a story about that. Right. It's like it's just a tiny little moment. The one thing that I do find a little strange, we've talked about just whatever is the best function for the story we do, but Ziggy is used in a very strange fashion in this episode, almost the reverse of what we've understood him to do, which is uh, Ziggy pulls from records to predict what Sam's there to do based on history. And in this episode... Ziggy somehow knows the future. If you change this, all these things will happen. This will happen. Like Ziggy's Ziggy's gaming it out probability wise. Like yeah, but like to what a... are the outcomes going to be? And normally we don't get that until the end of the episode after Sam has achieved whatever the goal is. Now look, oh, this person's going to do this, and this person's going to do that. You're right. Like this is a case where it's like Act Two, and Alice saying, yeah. "Oh, if this, then this." Yeah, and I don't know if it was an oversight or it was just like, you know, we need to know what the stakes are so Ziggy can tell the future. I definitely think it's more of that. Like, it does stick out like a thumb in terms of the traditional structure of an episode. But I always chalked it up to this episode, yeah, Quantum Leap is always about making that change. Yeah. Except this time, it's really not. It's really about Sam and his relationship with his family. And let's just get the stakes out of the way first. Yeah. So yeah. we can focus on this interpersonal relationship Sam has yeah. with his family, which we've already admitted is not the main reason he's here. Right. It's the main reason we're here. <laughs> right. Week. Yeah. The way the, the so. reason the audience is here. Yeah. I'm all for probabilities. And if you win this game, it's likely that these things could happen for these people. But the coach goes from leaving high school basketball to college to eventually the NBA. I will say that that the the basketball coach from my high school ended up coaching in the NBA. Oh, well, certainly. So uh, certainly. So yeah, I don't mean to think doable. that, but it's certainly doable. My my point being though, there's no way Ziggy could know that. There's a <laughs> certain point at which probability kind of goes by the wayside. Like You think anybody's using Ziggy in Vegas? <laughs> you think Al might just like run some numbers and head out there for a weekend? It's just interesting that it's an inverse of what we've expected from Ziggy in the past. And and that's always, I don't like it when things change. But outside of that, like I said, Quantum Leap at its best. And, uh, you know, you just wonder, like all those people that won the game in the original timeline, how horrible are their lives now? (laughs) You know, what what scholarships did they get when they won the game and now they're not doctors? We only (laughs) know know what happened to No-No's and things did not go great for him afterwards. Yeah, well, he shouldn't have been trying to get with Lisa. That's true. That's true. (laughs) 
What a jerk. One of the one of my favorite things about No No's is that there was apparently only like ten seconds of footage of him just looming there, like waving back and forth after knocking Sam down or something yeah. like that. And they keep reusing the same shot of him kind of just looming same stock footage yeah. over and over and over again, which I thought was hilarious. Here's a question that's kind of a little bit off topic, but one of Sam's teammates is Herky Lonegro. Oh, no kidding. Okay. Is this the same Lonegro who owns the cabin that Sam used in that other episode? Could be the same family, but this was a professor of his in college, I think, that yeah, owned this it, cabin. So it, it wouldn't have been like a high school buddy. It's a real weird name. Yeah. I wonder if there's a Lonegro in Belisario's life somewhere. Maybe that's it. Maybe it's just like a guy he keeps shouting out to. Now, this particular Hercule Negro uh, in this episode, I believe Al suggested that he did become a college professor. No kidding. So I got questions. But Sam gets to college before that kid. Oh, for sure. He beats <laughs> so, him there by like two years. He couldn't be. He couldn't be his teacher. But you know, but I, maybe Dad. May, maybe it's his father. Maybe I don't know. I don't know. I, it just seemed like a weird name, and it, and it stuck out to me. If I had to wager a guess, I'd think it, it's it's got to be somebody in Belisario's life. When you're writing, you use your friends' names sometimes. You know, with the graphic novel that I wrote, I named street names after friends oh, of sure. mine from the time you know what i mean that kind sure of yeah thing. you do that sort of stuff yeah, uh yeah. not to bring it back to george lucas but you know he did go to high school with a guy named vader <laughs> <laughs> that's true no kidding yeah okay for, for real it shows you what he thought of that dude <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh so yeah I, I think it's probably just kind of a wink and a nod to somebody uh probably deserves a little research though be yeah. interesting to to look up um but yeah, th this is a two-parter, and did you, uh, did you have anything else you wanted to say about part one? No, really, I just, the way it ended with Sam saying, bye, Dad, finishing the hook shot, knowing he's going to leap, knowing that's the last moment he's probably ever going to talk to his dad. Yeah. It's such a great little moment where he, he manages to encapsulate, his dad is rooting for him, but he starts coughing, and it sort of just tells the story, right? Yeah. Like, this yeah. is inevitable. And Sam sort of just resigns himself to that and takes advantage of the moment by dad. Yeah. And so it's much powerful. of this yeah. spoke to me down to the last moment yeah. where Al reveals, no, I'm sorry, Sam, Tom still dies in Vietnam. And, and Sam yeah. calls out to his brother as he's leaping. One of the coolest leap transitions ever. Absolutely. Surely. Yeah, I've got that note as well. Probably the best leap transition in the whole series. It flows so nicely from one yeah. episode to the next and ties them together so that you know that this is a continuing story. Right. Which is not something that Quantum Leap is typically doing. Yeah, this isn't done yet. Yeah, exactly. Once we arrive in that second leap, everybody's covered in combat makeup. And so it's not immediately obvious who everybody in that space is. Sure. Yeah. But it becomes obvious very quickly that, oh, no, that's Tom. It's Tom again. Yeah. So who accepted the nudge in the second episode? Oh, man. Whoever. 
Who felt that nudge and opened the door? Yeah, the guy who mentioned the nudge. Yeah. Herbert Magic Williams, the connective thread to our new series. Uh, The character played by Ernie Hudson in the reboot. Sam has leaped into him on April 7th, 1970, which for those paying attention, uh, we know that's the day before Tom is tragically killed in Vietnam. Magic is a part of Tom's platoon. The details surrounding what will happen in the next 24 hours are fuzzy at best. And Sam, along with Al, attempt to piece everything together. Some force that remains mysterious seems to be working against them and cutting them off Mm -hmm. at the pass on some of the predictions that Ziggy is making. Really interesting episode. When I saw this the first time, I remembered not being as energized for as I was for... The Leap Home Part 1. The Leap Home Part 1 is just so emotional, and it taps into sort of this... Some of the way Back to the Future does. It just sort of taps into this innate understanding that we have in terms of seeing ourselves as children, being able to see our family in the past, that Mm -hmm. sort of thing. This one requires a little bit more of you in that we didn't all surf in Vietnam. (laughs) Right, right, sure. But... But my God, like this episode can go toe to toe with Leap Home Part One. Like now yeah. I'm watching it now and I'm like, this is rock solid. Yes. Uh, the first note I've got down here is I always love episodes of Quantum Leap where Al is useful. Oh, gosh. You know, he, is, he has so several, much agency he, in this episode. He's indispensable. Yeah. And there's so many episodes of Quantum Leap where Al is just played for the comic relief or... He doesn't have a whole lot to do. They're not sure what to do with him. So he spends a lot of time at, I'm going to go check out the stats and leaves through the chamber door and you don't have a whole lot to do with him. Comes in, mystery science theaters things up a little bit and then like exits for a while and and comes back. Yeah. Then there's some episodes that are basically Al episodes. And this one very easily balances the two of them. Then by the end, you've discovered their stories are connected. (sighs) God, in a, in a yeah. closer way than you know, and, and we'll get there. But how is it so unexpected? I mean, it, yeah, right. You think, oh, sure, of course. Once it happens, you're like, of course, that was going to be right the scenario. But your head's just never there. I don't know, my head's never there. Yeah, and then the revelation at the end, which and is he just chooses crippling. chooses to wear his dress uniform. The bulk yes. of this episode, yes. Because it's Nam. This is a big part of who he is, right? It makes perfect sense that he would come in and that would be the attire he would be wearing for the duration of this leap. Yeah. It's not somewhere he feels comfortable, but somewhere that is familiar to him. Yes. Here we go from a a scene that's completely familiar to Sam to one that's just utterly foreign. Yeah. Like he has- Literally. Yeah. He absolutely has no frame of reference for what this scenario will call for. Al is the one that can walk him through everything that he needs to do in this leap. And I, and I love those types of stories. Harkens back to one of my favorite moments. And we've talked about Honeymoon Express where he's like, I don't think I could do this without you. You know? Right. And right. this one, he almost certainly couldn't do without Al. Sam could not have saved his brother without Al. Yeah. And I think that's get, getting ahead of ourselves there a little bit. But that is the most important thing about this episode. Right. Al saying, wait, that frequency on the radio is wrong. Right. You need to tune yeah. it to this. And without planting that seed and really making that something we're paying attention to, 
Tom dies. That's the reason Tom doesn't die, which has a it's... profound impact on Al. <laughs> and it's Yeah, right. And that's good foreshadowing too to the actual story, planting the seeds of the betrayal that's coming and the betrayal that Al was always very acutely aware was coming. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> From the yeah. moment he's at the date. Oh, I don't trust her. You know? <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. And it turns out to be uh, very warranted. He's got, he's got instincts because he's been there. Like I said, I like seeing Al in this mode of competence. He's not typically incompetent necessarily in other ones, but he's a jokester and sometimes he's there for no reason. Right. And he could toss Ziggy to the side and yeah. probably be okay. Yeah. In terms yeah. of being instructive for Sam, he's kind of instructing him every step of the way. This yeah. is how you speak to your superiors. This is how you need to conduct yourself here. This is what's right. normal. This is what's not. You need to act more like this to sell the fact that you are magic. That you are a Navy SEAL in Vietnam. Yeah. How lucky is he that his hologram was a, a Navy pilot that served in Nam? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Indispensably so. Yeah, and it kind of harkens back, too, to the pilot episode where, you know, he doesn't know how to fly Mach 2. He's yep. like, well, I do. This show is at its best when the two are paired because what one doesn't know, the other does. Yeah, I am compensating yeah. for your weaknesses with my strengths and vice versa. Right, right. And there's a couple of episodes throughout the series where, which I always think is funny because Sam will turn to Al and say, is there anything you haven't done? You know, and we're talking about somebody <laughs> that's got seven doctorates and knows three martial arts and played Carnegie Hall and he's a medical doctor and he's a, you know, it's, it's time's book next great genius. And book smarts versus street smarts. That's yeah, what these two yeah. are. <laughs> yeah, and it's 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 great. And nobody's more baffled than Al when those roles are reversed as seen in, in this episode. So there's uh, two female characters really of note in this episode. So you've got, of course, Sam is magic. You've got Tom. You've got a colonel who's kind of overseeing this operation. You've got their whole platoon, but there are two female characters of consequence. One of them is Maggie Dawson, who is a photojournalist who is there in Vietnam just to document events. In search of a Pulitzer. She is thirsty for a Pulitzer. She's at least as thirsty for a Pulitzer as Patrick Warburton is for her in this episode. <laughs> and by the way, isn't, isn't yes. Isn't he great? Patrick Warburton is in this episode of Quantum Leap, folks. And he's, and he's so great. Warburton-y. Yeah. Uh, so great. He's so great. You see shades of putty in yeah. this episode. So so Maggie Dawson's one of the characters. The other is a Vietnamese woman guiding them through this mission. And if you haven't figured out who the uh, traitor is yet, then uh, Al would yeah. be happy to point out that the Vietnamese woman is probably not to be trusted. There's a point in the episode where Sam and Maggie essentially hook up to ensure her place in the group going on the mission the next day. She wants to go on this mission with them. And Al makes a remark like, I'm the one who's supposed to be governed by my libido, right? Right. He says, I'm the one who thinks with his glands, not you. Like, <laughs> it's even somehow more repulsive. <laughs> <laughs> and And speaking of repulsion, Al is... Very skeevy throughout both of these episodes, whether he's leering at high school girls, yeah. whether he is making lewd comments about Maggie. This is a man who is very much the definition of 
toxic masculinity. It's, it's, it's just, it, yes, yes. Yeah. But even Al makes that remark towards Sam, like, wait, no, this is, a, this is a reversal of things. You're not supposed to be the one who's, like, betting the hot chick. <laughs> yeah, so the conceit of this episode, like we said at the outset here, this is a day before Tom is killed. He's supposed to be killed tomorrow. And it's, a, like, a top-secret mission, so Ziggy is short of data on what they're there to do, why Sam might be there, and what that mission is all about. It's shrouded in secrecy, both for narrative purposes and for the characters. Uh, They're not supposed to know what they're there to do, like Martinez and (laughs) they're all good soldiers, you know? Yeah. They're guns that are pointed at a mission and go. As Billy Joel would say, they were so gung-ho to lay down their lives. Yeah. But that's why, that's why, and this is a brilliant moment for this show, Sam kind of works Maggie into the mission. Because Sam's logic is like, if she goes on this mission and publishes a story about it, Ziggy will have access to that story and will know what's going on. And it's mm-hmm. a brilliant little thing until it doesn't fucking work. <laughs> well, yeah. And, but it is one of those few times where they decide to use time travel the way that most writers would use time yeah. travel. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, well, yeah, let's get a newspaper clipping done so that we can know what's going to happen. Brilliant um, little plan, although ultimately costs her her life. He brings her along, and uh, the question being, would she trade her life for the resolution that, that came of it? She gets her Pulitzer. Gets her Pulitzer. She does get and her Pulitzer. Would she trade her life for that Pulitzer? She always said she would, but yeah, that's a tough situation. For the whole uh, platoon, there's time spent at the end where they're all lamenting the fact that they lost this civilian on their mission. What did she say to you that time in the bunker? She said she'd sell her soul for a Pulitzer. Not just her soul. Yeah, well, I wish she'd have gone. She did. What? The Pulitzer. I wish she'd have won the Pulitzer Prize. She did. For her last photograph. And there's a lot of uncertainty going into this mission. Like, the whole third act of this episode is... Sam and his platoon on a chopper. They're going in. Al tries to assure Sam, you've got an ace in the hole. Me. Right? Right. To sort of allay his fears. But there's so many moving parts here between where Tom's at, where Sam's at, where Maggie's running off to. It's sort of like that old serial villain kind of scenario where he's like, you must choose one. Yeah. Right? And right. And Sam very much makes his choice to the surprise of no one. He rescues Tom, but at the expense of Of Maggie's life. life. I don't have any experience with the military whatsoever. So (laughs) everything that I know of it is comes from um, media and stuff like that. But it's interesting to see Tom in this other persona. There's Tom at home with his family and who they believe him to be versus the rowdy leader that he is when he's away from the family in this other scenario, you know, someone, either him or or Sam even makes a mention of like, Oh man, if my mom could see me, you know? Yeah. Right. And then of course we'd be remiss if we didn't mention that the character that he's leaped into, uh, his host magic already had this sixth sense supposedly when he joined their platoon, suddenly their fortunes started to change. 
you know, he's some kind of luck charm for them. He seems to have some premonitions that have helped them out. Yep. And it's the perfect scenario for Sam to have this whole platoon believe the things that he says and allow him to dissuade them from doing certain things and persuade them to do others. Even when his hunches or what have you don't play out, right? For a very specific reason, but the platoon still believes in him. Yeah, yeah. Because their yeah. fortunes have changed since he came aboard. Right. It's not just Al. It's not just Al being there that sort of sold them on this idea. It's like obviously a long-standing thing. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. And uh, his nickname is Magic for a reason. Yep. Which is why that scene that plays in the revival is so wonderful. When yeah. they're having to get the facial recognition for Martinez. and uh, <laughs> Magic. <laughs> things tend to go right when he's around. Kismet there for the character that he can leap into in this episode so sam comes to understand that the mission that they are on is to rescue two or three pow's who are being moved right. through the jungle and going back to what we were talking about earlier there's this moment where al concedes that maybe there's a way for sam to save tom and allows him the grace to do that and it seems Sort of minor in the moment. Mm -hmm. And it comes back at the end and you realize how profound it was. But right. Al is saying, I found the POWs. There's only two guards. We can free them. And he's yeah. really, really emphatic about it. But Sam has noticed that the radio's on the incorrect frequency again and realizes, no, wait, someone's betraying us from within, goes off to save Tom. Yes. And that's kind of the last of the POW thing as far as Al's concerned in terms of trying to sway Sam to go there and rescue well ziggy's prediction is that he's there to make sure that that mission succeeds because right. it didn't in the original timeline and al does take a moment to tell sam like people die on successful yes. missions. yeah so this is not necessarily about saving your brother this is about completing the mission and of course we didn't necessarily know what that mission was or the weight that it carries with some of the characters but yeah yeah that's that's kind of a good but, way yeah. to say it there's a little bit of foreshadowing just as Maggie is dying and she looks up and appears to make eye contact with Al the hologram. And Al says, she, she saw me. Yeah. Like she wasn't looking through me. She was looking at me. I guess we've seen situations like that. Or if we haven't we'll seen more in the yeah, future, we, we, we do see more uh, upcoming where like certain people are just attuned to Al for whatever reason, whether it's because they're a child, whether it's just, they happen to be an adult that's kind of on the same wavelength but the reason behind it appears to be kind of revealed in the next scene as they're all at the bar happy that they're all alive but yeah. so maggie goes off on her own yeah and is tragically killed by one of the booby traps that al, al uses ziggy to point out all the booby traps for them <laughs> as they're going throughout their mission great. there's something real yeah. metal gear solid about all this uh that yeah. i really really loved <laughs> You know, and that plays into magic. I see the booby traps. Step over this wire. Step over this wire. Look, look, look. And, of course, for Sam, it's Al pointing all these things out. But Maggie gets caught in one that everybody sees coming. And um, yeah. she's running to join the group. And they all turn to see her. And uh, she's she's lost. But saves the camera. Saves the camera. And saves says, the camera. And Dying breath. Pulitzer. Yeah, you know. it's it's a real rosebud moment for her. It's yeah. like, well, at least yeah. her priorities were clear. Right. But she did, as she was sort of separated from the group, 
hide in the bushes and take some photographs of the POWs who are being escorted by. And of course, in true Quantum Leap fashion, in the last closing moments of this episode, the colonel brings those developed photos over and everybody can get a good look at them. And Al remarks that she does win a Pulitzer for her final photograph. We get a good look at it and we realize the POW bringing up the rear in that group was none other than Al Calavici. Yeah. And it's success it's, in the mission would have meant that Al was free. Yeah. So Sam it's, is already agonizing at this bar over the fact that he essentially traded a life for a life. Maggie is dead, but Tom lives. And now and that's compounded to injury. by the yeah. fact that, oh my God, if I hadn't been so one track minded about what I was here to do, what my agenda was my best friend wouldn't have spent five years in a POW camp. What the hell? I got repatriated in five years. You could have been free. I was free. Up here, I was always yeah, free. Yeah, what does he say? What the hell? I get... Yeah, I get repatriated in five years. Yeah, that's... That's kind of yeah. cold, actually, now that you think about it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's you insane. Know. But but the thing is, who had that agency? Al had that agency, right? Yeah. Al made the choice to allow Sam to save his brother, knowing that it meant he would be in that POW camp. To me, that's like the defining moment of Al on this show. And it's even more emphasized by the fact that the season finale we just saw two episodes ago was the Beth episode where yeah. Al tried his damnedest to get Sam to change the past so he didn't lose his wife. Yeah. And I think it all comes full circle here because the big thought I had while watching this episode is that this two-parter is where the finale of this show became a foregone conclusion. Whether we're looking at Sam going back to fix Al and Beth's relationship, mm -hmm. or whether we're looking at Sam's decision to continue leaping forever, I think these two episodes are the moment where that was inevitable. Yeah. Where Sam was always going to keep leaping because he understood that for everything he did that was selfish, there was a consequence. And when Maggie died, I gotta believe Sam thought, I can never let that happen again. Yeah. I'm going to be atoning for this forever. Yeah. Yeah, this episode definitely ties back into MIA. I mean, they're entrenched together because sure. you think about, oh, for some reason, Al can't change his past, but it's okay for Sam to try and change his. So you've got that connection where Al has learned his lesson you know, in, mm -hmm. in the finale of the prior episode and, and has to let Sam learn the lesson for himself, even though supposedly he was the one teaching it to Al. Right. And then, yeah, you know, he may be repatriated in five years, but not only is he spending the next five years in a torture camp, his freedom in that moment could have saved his marriage. Right. He's giving up two things. His whole life. <laughs> yeah. His whole life that he tried desperately to have Sam change just two episodes ago. 
he's now just giving up for Sam. For a second you know? time, yeah. Like, he's giving it up yeah. for a second time, and he's yeah. doing it willingly this time. Right. Uh, I, I just... Is Al the best sidekick since Samwise Gamgee? I think probably. <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, they're they're friends. And, you know, it becomes later in the series, as we learn both of the characters inside and out, that he really starts referring to Sam as my pal. You're my pal. You're my buddy. I wouldn't let my buddy be this way. Yeah. I'm going to get my buddy out of this. We're friends. We're in it together. It's a change. The boxing episode in the first season with Kid Cody. Yes. Yeah. Al has next to nothing to do in that. No, of course, he was a boxer, and he kind of teaches Sam a little bit about boxing. <laughs> but he has this whole little subplot about how he can't sleep because his neighbor is making too much noise trying to build a hot rod or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's, like, taking a nap in the imaging chamber. Like, oh, I'm just so tired. What am I doing here? <laughs> and it's like, they don't know what they're doing with this guy yet. It's like... It- it's like his outside life is like a sitcom. Yeah, exactly. But we're not yeah. seeing any of it. And see, this is, those are the sorts of things. I'm glad you bring Just, that up because that's the sort of thing that gives me hope about the team dynamics we're seeing on the reboot. Knowing that Addison watches Real Housewives with Jen on a weekly basis is not something I need to be reminded of right. over and over again. And... Maybe somewhere down the road, we're going to get to the meat. We'll get yeah. to the point where we can kind of let all that stuff go away. And you're you're not necessarily making plots that are just filler or just goofy and, and funny. Right. But everything has this real emotional weight to it, right? Got advice from Chuck Dixon. I believe it was Chuck Dixon at a convention where... He'd have entire issues of uh, Nightwing where it's just an action comic, right? It's just action from page one to page 22, all action. But all of that action moved a story along. Mm -hmm. Basically, what he had told me is you don't stop the story to have an action moment and then pick the story back up. Your action moment and all of the actions that you're taking as related to this show all of the events and actions that the characters take have to further the story. Yeah. You don't stop yeah. and talk about housewives. If you're going to use that, use it as sort of a resolution, which I think they've attempted. They did. I'm not saying they that did. they have I'm not saying they haven't, but but I the think point they did being, the first time when they were all sitting there watching Housewives at the end, like magic, all of them were sitting there. Like it was kind yeah. of a, okay. they were trying to use it for something. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, make sure that everything that you fit into this show or you fit into that comic, serves the story for a purpose. And nobody needs to be there that doesn't need to be there. And nothing has to happen that doesn't need to happen. Yeah, yeah. It's it's about the economics of telling a story. Don't create two characters that can be solved by one gin. Uh, excuse me. Um, <laughs> I, uh, but I digress. So, so the use of Al is imperative that he have a purpose to be there and there are episodes where he's not around and i think that's okay it's better that he maybe be away from the episode and let sam have his story rather than have him just be there because he's a character on the show you know what i mean yeah so that's kind of what i get at with 
this particular episode that we're discussing tonight, just beautiful use of his knowledge, his experience, who he is, and then to come full circle as to how his life was affected or could have been changed in that moment is just really powerful. Yeah, and it just hits you like a ton of bricks. And then the episode kind of just ends on that note. You get this nice little moment where Tom says, uh, you know, I'm alive all thanks to you, little brother puts his arm around magic and then the leap happens but it's like so much emotion is packed into the last 30 seconds of this episode (laughs) yeah including the photograph i mean i know we're we're talking in audio here but if you're listening and you have an opportunity to go back and look at the photo that they took that won her the pulitzer that photograph itself is strong like i don't know how they yeah put that together you know like it's definitely it was an Stockwell. older. So, so the nice thing about Dean Stockwell, I guess, is that he's been acting since he was like five. So there are <laughs> plenty of older photographs and footage of him as a younger man, and I, yeah. I believe that that's where they pulled that face from. But it's clearly Stockwell as a younger person, and the look in his eyes as he's looking yeah. back and making eye contact just with that camera. Perfect. It's just absolutely yeah. perfect. Yeah, and the photograph is a thousand words. That's the kind of shot that wins you a Pulitzer. And they almost didn't even have to say the words after the fact. As soon as you see that photo, it's like, I get it. And it's all right there in front of you. you right. Know, show me, don't tell me. Yeah. Of course, they do, they, again, do it very economically after the fact. And they have a very nice exchange. And the two of them, I think they had to say something to each other. So you could look at it yeah, and be like, they, especially again, coming off of MIA and the leap home part one, you've got to know that Al made this choice and it's not something he's looking at Sam. Like, look what you did. You big fuck up, you know, yeah. it's because yeah. it's not like that at all. It's like Al granted Sam the grace to save his brother in lieu of, completing the mission and saving Al. I don't know, man. I'm, I'm hard-pressed to think of a like a finer moment in Quantum Leap history were... as far as like defining the relationship between the two of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, if it were truly uh, completely altruistic, maybe he wouldn't have told him. <laughs> uh, don't look at that. Don't look at that picture, Sam. Hey, did you yeah, see the bazongas on this woman over here? You know, that does kind of put a weight on his shoulders to tell him like, this is what I gave up for you, you know? So if it was completely altruistic, maybe he just wouldn't say anything at all. Yeah, And maybe. we'd just leave it for the audience. But it wouldn't have the same effect. I mean, it's beautiful the way that it's put together. They share a great moment. And of course, like you said, it leads you to the finale where maybe he, he decides that he needs to put things right for Al. We discussed that briefly before in another episode, but one of the things I failed to mention, I think, is that... I saw MIA fairly recently, and they really don't lay Al as the love of Beth's life. She was ready to divorce him before he left. So it is kind of a turnabout in storytelling by the end. And I always thought that was kind of strange that, yeah, that he would go back and... Because whose life hinges was, on this? Whose, li- yeah. whose life hinges? Is it, is it Al or is it Beth? It doesn't seem to be Beth's life that hinges on this. No, the, from from our understanding, she was going to be happy with this other guy. There's a whole scene that she's having with this man that she would eventually marry where she was saying, you don't divorce a guy right before he ships out. Right. 
Like, and right. she was she was on the cusp of that because he didn't want kids. You know, he wasn't the best husband in the world. They really played that episode up as to, look, Al, I know this is what you wanted, but this wasn't what was supposed to be. And then they kind of turn that on its head by the end. Um, Let's take that and add a layer to it by looking at the Dr. Ruth episode, where Al's entire subplot is about him reconciling with all of his emotional stress and trauma to acknowledge the fact that he loves Tina. <laughs> right? <laughs> And that's the big revelation is that, wait, I love Tina differently than the other women I've loved, and that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. So really the person who's losing out here is Tina, but... uh... (laughs) True enough. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and all those people that lost the basketball game, I'm sure their lives are changed for the worse. Yeah. I mean, that was a big game. (laughs) Maybe we can get like a Spider-Man Far From Home scenario where all of these people who were wronged by altered history, whether it's Beth's quote-unquote stupid lawyer husband or No-No's Pruitt or all these guys that were like left behind and just laid to waste... Yeah, maybe those are your leap. those are your evil leapers there right there. Go. That's there you go. that's the one that the devil goes out for. Just, just a bunch of <laughs> incels. tries to recruit for his time traveling uh, evil deeds. It's just a bunch of incels founding their own project. <laughs> uh, but so I think I don't know. I, I think these two episodes up there, up there, as far as like the best yeah. hours of Quantum Leap. Oh, you absolutely! Could watch. Like, like yeah. these are maybe the two best episodes of the show. Yeah, it's 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 close. I mean, that'd be something I'd want to sit down and think about. But it sticks in your mind, you know? Mm-hmm. Like I've said before, I'm doing a rewatch now because I haven't revisited Quantum Leap in quite some time. And these were episodes that I kind of knew forwards and backwards from the time that I watched them years ago. So they were ones that I was excited to revisit, but probably wouldn't have needed to if I were only trying to capture things that I didn't remember. These were the episodes that stuck with me when I tell people, I like Quantum Leap. These are the shows I'm talking about. Yes. You know, definitely yep. these the, definitely these two. The Color of Truth from season one is powerful. Oh, yeah. I like Kamikaze Kid a lot. That's a fun You one. know, so they're definitely episodes that I like, but when you think about where they're at the top of their game, it's it's got to be these two episodes. Yeah, this one feels, especially Leap Home Part 1 feels like the, uh, this is to Quantum Leap what the inner light is to Star Trek The Next Generation for me. You know, it's sure. like, this is what this show is capable of saying and doing when it's firing on all cylinders. This is kind of the whole point. Yeah. Right? Yeah. This one seemed to have something to say, and it does feel very personal. It brings you in as an audience member, but you're right. There's got to be something personal to Belisario in this. And now with the revelation we learned last week that he actually served in the military, who knows how much he's drawing on for part two. Sure, you know? sure. Um, from personal experience there as well. So you can kind of tell when writers have something to say, they create their best product. So there's definitely, definitely something there, just a joy to revisit. And if you ever need to be reminded of why you like Quantum Leap, this is the one to go back to. For sure. For sure. And it's a good one to, to revisit right here before the holidays too. I found myself kind of anticipating a return to my boyhood home over Christmas Sure. Uh, after after this, like, uh, yeah, it'll. I guess it will be kind of nice to see my mom and dad again. 
you know? <laughs> <laughs> you needed a television show to convince you that it'd be nice to see your that's, parents. That's okay. the power. That's the power of television, folks. <laughs> Recorded for all posterity. <laughs> Brian has been convinced to go home and this see This is how I'm going to tell whether they listen to this or not. Um, <laughs> you know, it's just a seed I'm planting. Yeah. I've been trying to get my parents into this show. Oh, my parents will never uh, watch they, it. <laughs> I, well, no, not not our... Uh, oh, you mean Quantum Leap? They'll you never watch the parents... it or listen to this. They, don't, they can't figure the internet out, Nate. Oh, well, no, I, I mean uh, not myself specifically, <laughs> but uh, Quantum Leap as a whole. Sure, like, sure. I, I've been trying to get them to watch that. They've got access to Peacock. Kind of kind of got them into it, and there are a few, few episodes in, and seem to be having trouble connecting with it, which I thought was strange. Huh. And my, my father was saying that he thought it was a comedy, you know? Wow. And I was like, yeah. He was like, we watch it for the comedy. Huh. And I was like, well, I guess okay. that's I guess there's, some, there's funny some funny stuff. He really liked the... Uh, the Piggy Sue? Yeah, maybe that's it. <laughs> Piggy Sue, yeah. I don't know. Uh, it it was kind of strange, but felt like they they weren't really being gripped by it. And I said, "Well, look, you know, give it to the to the color of truth, and and the kamikaze kid at least watch through there. And if it doesn't have you, then you know, then then you're probably okay. good. Yeah. yeah. If it if it but, doesn't hook you by then, then yeah. Yeah. And I heard a interview with Bakula that the color of truth was kind of the episode that saved them. Yeah. And got them a second season. Huh. Huh. So they were on the bubble. But the critical response to that episode was sort of what convinced NBC to go ahead and grant them another season. Interesting. Who knows what possessed NBC to grant our revival a second season, but they've done it. <laughs> you said last week you're rooting for this show. I, I am. Yeah, I'm, I'm rooting for this show. And I think that watching Leap Home Part 1 and 2 kind of made me feel that in a stronger sense. Like, I'm not just rooting for this show to keep going. I'm rooting for it to find its footing in a way that allows it to produce hours of television that are to it what yeah. Leap Home Part 1 and 2 are to that original series. Yeah. Can right? it get that good? I mean, I'm, I'm saying can it get that good compared to itself, not compared to the Leap Home Part 1 and 2, because okay. I don't think yeah. I don't think I don't think it's going to get as good as Leap Home Part 1 and 2 ever. Yeah. But uh, maybe I'll be surprised. Who knows? We will find out soon enough because the show will be back on January 2nd Yeah, with more episodes. I have no idea what's in store for us. All I know is that we got 10 more episodes this season yeah. to, to pick at and pour over, and I'll be looking forward to that. Well, we know why Ben leaped. It was to save Addison. All right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> it's got to be bigger than that. Do your work, uh, show. So Yeah, exactly. But yeah, I am also rooting for this show to live up to its potential. Yes. But until then, Nate, you got anything else? No. That's, All right. I'm good. Well, folks, I hope you've enjoyed listening. I'm not going to mention Twitter this week because the it's like the, the house usher in there. It's yeah. all just crumbling around us. But I will encourage you to listen to the Paprika Network because that interview with Daniel Massachesi who was the cinematographer on The Matrix Resurrection last year, also worked as a camera operator on movies like John Wick Chapter 2, The Martian, Sense8, the TV show on Netflix, Prometheus, 
X-Men First Class, all sorts of stuff. Yeah. The man Is he North Carolina local oh, or something? Oh, absolutely not. I believe he lives in Italy. Um, so, so uh, how'd you score that's that? That's a pretty good, good, pretty good us. interview for Seed there. Uh, and it's very, very good. So I encourage you guys to listen to that. Absolutely. And the yeah. other shows on the Paprika Network. You listen to this one probably around Christmas. We'll be back in the new year with another look at the reboot series. And until then, folks, I'm Brian. And I'm Nate. And we will be here in the waiting room. Leap effect. <laughs> <laughs> Leave it in.